This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am coming to you on this Friday morning at 7.30 in the morning with Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? I'm splendid. This is like the actual uh, first time I think we've ever done it this early on a Friday morning because your kids are out of school school. That's a, that's this is fun. They do I like not getting require this done. Me. They do not require me preparing them, preparing lunches. Where are they right now? They got to be run, they're, they're about to run into the room screaming. Right? I wouldn't be because surprised if we are interrupted. When you do a podcast. Would not be surprised if we're interrupted. Uh, one of them is watching uh, the Princess Bride in the uh, in the living room, which wow. she does, which she Great does movie. literally every morning. How many times does she watch that movie? Well, she's done it literally every morning for about, I'm going to call it eight months. I'm going to call it eight months. <laughs> no way. She's watched it like close to 200, 240 times. Yeah, this is where this is where the, like, it's a little bit like, so I, when I was a kid, I would like watch, you know, Captain Planet or whatever when I was getting ready for school. But this is where I think the autism kicks in because she's like, now I want to watch the same thing and I want to memorize this whole thing. So we're... We're deep into it now. I mean, my uh, my but, kids uh, uh, my kids can yeah. do like full scenes of the Princess Bride. Like when we go to Disneyland, they like will just stand in line doing like the Inigo Montoya scene. It's pretty cool. Okay. This is the best thing ever. Oh, it's awesome. This it's, is the best thing. Ever. They could be memorizing. Oh my god, some really bad movies, and they're doing Princess Bride. Oh, it's so good. It's Princess so good. Bride it's top of- ten in my family. I mean, we have quotes from it all the time. Well, I mean, and this throughout was, our lives. This is one of my great moves is that we had, like, she was watching, like, other shows kind of repeatedly, and they were all just, like, garbage Disney stuff. And I'm like, what can I get her? To, what, I can, what can I introduce? Because it, introducing, like, new media is, is a difficult task. Um, what can I introduce that would really be something I could deal with watching or listening to pretty much every day? And I settled on that. And it's one of my best moves as a parent. Have fun storming the castle. Exactly. It's so good. Every line. So beautiful. Every line. Uh, You know, that one is probably the most used for us because I'll, you know, I'll be leaving the house or something and my kids would have said, have fun storming the castle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's wonderful. Um, But we're not here to talk about the Princess Bride, though we could uh, in perpetuity. We are here talk about ucla athletics we are a ucla sports podcast tracy did you know that uh, i'm well aware dave yeah i'm very uh, much well aware and ucla sports uh is in uh what i like to call the busy zone 
what I like to call the stress, the stressed zone, the um, I'm tired all the time zone, which is when basketball and football are happening at the same time. This overlap for just about two months. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got uh, we've got a basketball game to watch tonight. UCLA versus Lafayette. Uh, The Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, not that one, the university. And then uh, yeah. the uh, the UCLA football team takes on Arizona State at the Rose Bowl on Saturday. We're going to talk about football first um, because, you know, it's it's in the uh, November, November. Uh, UCLA is going to play Arizona State tomorrow at 6 p.m. Um, so I'm going to give everyone just kind of the overview on ASU. Uh, the Sun Devils um, aren't good. So I want that to be said up front. They're not a good football team. But, and this is the important but, they've shown signs of being a little bit dangerous at times. And it basically comes down to um, after the first three games of the year where I think a piano had fallen on Kenny Dillingham's head preseason and he decided to let Bo Baldwin call plays while he recovered, Outside of those first three games, this is a really well-coached football team. Um, they're really well-schemed offensively, even though they are absolutely bereft of uh, offensive line health and quarterback health. Uh, they're really well-schemed. They've got a lot of tricky stuff they like to do, especially with their running back, Cameron Scadabo. And the end result is that they're not statistically good offensively, but they produce more points than you would think they should, given how they're down to seven offensive linemen and they're, you know, third or fourth string quarterback, depending on who runs out there on Saturday. So that's offensively. And then defensively, they've actually shown a couple of games where they looked pretty darn good. And given again, injuries, talent level, again, you got to say they're really well coached. Um, they held Washington to 15 points. And if you watch that game, um, I'm, I think one of the scores was a defensive touchdown for Washington. Like I don't, that was that was a, a an absolute masterclass defensive coaching performance. Um, they've held a lot of teams down that would otherwise score in the 30s or 40s against the similarly talented defense into the 20s. Um, it's it's a good way to think about it is it's somewhat similar to Arizona last week in that you'll be able to drive between the 20s okay, but once you get in the red zone, they can really shut you down. Um, so, you know, obviously how that marries with UCLA is the question. And, um, you know, UCLA's defense, you would think, should be able to shut down ASU to the extent that Utah did last week, hold them to like three points. And wouldn't be a shock if they did. But So what was, your, yeah. what was your predicted score? Uh, now, this is where it comes in, is that I predicted UCLA wins 16-10 to 10 because I think ASU's defense is going to be, be able to cause fits for this offense. Uh, Wait, are those field goals or a miss extra point? <clears throat> it's a great question. I was thinking about 13 to 10, but I thought that would be too depressing for the bros. And I'm like, are they really going to have four scoring drives where they make, they're going to make three field goals, Dave? You really think so? And so I went with it, but who knows? And you're talking to yourself? Yeah. No, I talk to myself all the time. So you went with the three field goals? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, they could miss an extra point too. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. I thought, interesting. So low scoring game. Uh, you and I had talked about this before. ASU's chance is to really limit its defense to limit uh, UCLA's offense. Correct. Uh, it probably won't score uh, much. And then 
this game could be decided for me. I think it's all about the turnovers. Yeah. ASU gets a couple of great turnovers. It, it could win this game if, you know, uh, UCLA's offense can't get a two touchdown lead, which you're saying might be tough. Um, that's ASU's chance. They, they got to be like slugging that ball out at every opportunity. That's that uh, pick sixes, just they got to be jumping routes. Because that's going to be their chance. Yeah, they got to be hyper aggressive defensively, and exactly the the point is that I think it's going to be one of those UG fest games where it's going to hinge on a defensive score, a special teams score, big play on special teams, like that sort of stuff. Where it could it, that could all flip UCLA's way, and they end up with like a weird blowout where they didn't actually look that good, but they win like twenty seven to three, or it could flip. ASU's way, and then this ends up being a very, very strangely competitive game. Um, and so splitting the difference, I think it'll be ugly. I mean, that's the main takeaway. Or pretty if you like defensive football. Well, no. So here's the other piece <laughs> is that, like, I think um, it's going to be more about the offenses being bad than it is about the defenses being great. I mean, I think I can, UCLA's defense is that. good, but um, uh, the – so UCLA going into this game, I think we're – my guess is Ethan Garbers is absolutely not going to play um, based on if how the, he looked this week. Any indication from practice. I mean, he, he struggled to run 20 yards. He was limping and in what looked like wincing in pain. Yeah. To, so that was Tuesday for me. It was the same for you on Wednesday, correct? Yeah, he, he looked he looked really bad moving around. Um, and then Dante Moore, um, we actually can't see his brain. So, you know, that's... Always... Oh, wait, I got... I have his scans right here. Oh, you do? Okay, cool. cool. <laughs> um, no, so, impossible really to say, and we're not going to hear any word on that. Um, my anticipation is that Colin Schley, if he's not going to start, he's going to play a lot. Um, and there's also the factor that... Um, these guys are going to take a lot of hits too. I mean, ASU's got an okay pass rush, and that's more than enough to um, cause issues for this offensive line. So, you know, I would anticipate UCLA is going to play two quarterbacks and maybe you know have some guys go down again. Um, so, and then on the other side, you've got Trenton uh, Bourget, who's who, hanging on by literally a thread of a tendon in his ankle. One good hit, and he's out. Yeah, and then you're going to see Jacob Conover, who um, is not very good. He's not very good. He he can throw it basically like Schley, um, but can't run it. So I, I would think that. that if that happens, you know, what does ASU have to lose but the game? Oh yeah, just throw <laughs> I mean, they're going to do some there. they're going to yeah. do some offensive stuff. That uh, I mean, Wildcat, just funky stuff just to try at least an element of surprise if if Borgay goes down. Yeah, and they should. I mean, honestly, they should open the game doing that stuff. They should really alleviate the burden on Borgay and put a lot of Scatabo Wildcat in there from the beginning um, yeah. and just get him in a rhythm doing that because there could come a point in this game where that has to be their offense. We'll see if those Murphys just when they're when they're pressuring him, <laughs> if they go straight for the ankle or not. Yeah, I would. Uh, those guys are, you know, I think that I think they're aware. They're aware. <laughs> they're aware of those situations. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah. Um, anyway, the game yeah. the game itself is going to be ugly. Um, I, I, I you know I predicted a UCLA win, not a UCLA cover, but it's it's I think going in with the mindset that it's going to be ugly is probably the best way to look at it. Um, it probably could be ugly in the stands also. <laughs> um, I'm not anticipating too big of a crowd. Weird. Uh, Why? I, I, I have we gotten into the no? I think have, yeah no. We've had a game in the thirty thousands this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. UCLA's lowest attendance ever was set last year against Bowling Green at 27,143. I would bet that won't go down this weekend on Saturday. If, you know, moving ahead a little, if UCLA loses to USC uh, that next week against Cal, that record's in danger right there for that Cal game. Uh, So... Yeah, it's it's going if it's if you're talking 16 to 10 and there's 30,000 in the stands. Wow, there's just not a lot of energy for this game. There's not uh, if I don't know if you um, have. <laughs> have we published Brandon's? We haven't published Brandon's. The recruits? No, we did. Yes. Yeah, we oh, did. We did. OK. Yeah. Um, not a not an electrifying list of recruits showing no. up. There's, yeah, there. Well, first, let's talk a little bit more about the game. Is is Dillingham the youngest looking head coach yet in memory? Uh, he looks like he walked right out of a frat party, especially yeah. when he wears a hoodie. Yeah. So uh, I just want to establish that because every time I'm kind of a little bit of a fan, but every time I see him, it, it's disorienting because I first you try to scan that. Where is he? Oh, no, that's that's just. Uh, that's just a guy who holds water. Oh no, that's him. Yeah, uh, you go through that kind of process almost all the time. Uh, you alluded, or you directly referenced, uh, how did you say it? Where he kind of uh, didn't know what he was doing for the first few games, and then he had a piano fall on his head preseason, and then was recovering, and, and it was still on his head. For, yeah, no, he was recovering, yeah. and so he handed off the keys to Bo Baldwin. So I just I need to say this, Bo Baldwin. Um, was one of Cal's worst offensive coordinators during the Justin Wilcox era. Um, he built his reputation at Eastern Washington a decade ago, um, but he was probably not even the brains of that operation. He then struggled at Cal, somehow got gifted the Cal Poly head coaching job where he went 4-21, and got fired, and then Dillingham handed him the keys to his offense to be the play caller as well. And here's the thing. The only reason Dillingham was ever even considered as a head coach is because of his offense. So what are you doing ever giving the giving the keys to your offense away in your first head coaching job where that's, you were hired entirely yeah. because of your offensive scheme? It's that's the funniest that's what's so strange really about um football and unique to to college football compared to basketball. Um if you watch a basketball uh, practice, the head coach is doing 85% of the coaching. I mean, it's all on him. It's all about him. And a lot of the assistant coaches are just supporting what he's saying, you know, as in mixing in a few instructions right in between when the coach is yelling at the players. <laughs> um, if you're a great coordinator and you get the head coaching job, it's talking about this is young hubris. 
you you were hired mostly because you could lock down half the side of the ball, right? You you were a good coordinator. Handing it over to someone and taking on just the head coach. No one knows if you're a good head coach. Don't don't just do that. Be the coordinator. That's what you were hired to do. It's crazy to me when coordinators get the job and they just they hand over why they were given the head coaching job. It's so strange. We've seen it quite often. I'll tell you too. I mean, even though we've made an argument against Chip Kelly uh, about his game planning and play calling this year. I respect that he's done that, uh, that he's, uh, I think it's just because he likes doing it so much and he considers himself an offensive genius and he loves people talking about how clever he is at calling plays. But I respect that he didn't just hand that over and become a head coach and drive around on a golf court during practice. Yeah. So yeah, big mistake guys, uh, you know, Dave and I are just slappies run, run your stuff. We don't, we don't know anything, but just, just call the place. Yeah, run, run your stuff. Be buddy. your own coordinator. Yeah. yeah, nope. Nobody hired you for your uh, management skills, Kenny. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, the game itself, um, uh, it will be probably an ugly fest. I mean, is there a chance UCLA loses? Sure. I would still say, uh, on balance, it's hard. It's just hard to foresee ASU scoring a lot of points. Um. It's just they they th- this offense plus UCLA's defense is not a good combination for the Sun Devils. We have to, we've done this, uh, you know, every game. Uh, it's uh, it's a must win for UCLA. And no one's really talking about this this week because you you just, what's the point spread, 14? Uh, it's, it opened 17? at like 17. I don't know what it is right, right now. Um, you just, uh, we're all assuming UCLA is going to win this game. But you have to consider because of where we are in the situation with Chip Kelly. Are you feeling disunified, Tracy? Oh gosh, is that the word we are attaching that? I think I wrote dissension one time. Was that not right? Should I just should I? Um, use I well, I think unity? It, no. I mean, disunity is what I think Femi said. Like that's the okay. word he was right, using. Right, right. That's true. That's true. Um, um, when well, oh, I should say that's the word Femi used when I led him into that in my illicit uh, oh, attempt to force disunity on this football. You are team. illicit. Um, yeah. But what I'm saying, uh, consider a loss. And when we are talking blackness after Arizona, uh, there is no blackness probably in the universe that that would be in our lives like it would be after this team loses to ASU. Yeah, this is a this is a starless obsidian night. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which leads us to. That's going to be the title of my story, by the way. If if the recap, <laughs> if uh, if uh, if they lose, a starless obsidian night. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I use the whole uh, darkness thing, and then you're going to just okay. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, it'll you can be have fun. it. You can have it. Um, but that leads us to talking. There is a uh, there's a feeling right now. I'd say in the UCLA fan community, uh, in the donor community. And to a degree around the program, uh, it's it's just like there isn't a lot of energy. There isn't a lot of buzz. You'd say at this point, it's, the feeling around the program is, is not great. Wouldn't you say so, Dave? Um, well, 
yeah. I mean, you've got so let's just go from the player standpoint first, uh, guys. Okay, just let's all move out of your trenches for a second. Um, we've all seen this movie before, right? Like, um, it, it, you know, uh, one coach talking about burn the boats, um, you know, other ones, uh, talking about football 101, all this. No, no, no. It was at that point he was saying, remember, we're always asking if he was ever considering changing his West coast offense. And he was indignant about that. And then in the last couple of weeks, right before his, I, I could, I, I, I'm open to changing my offense. Sweetheart. Um, but we've Adorable. all we've all seen this movie before. You know, you've got players. Um, you know, there's uh, Arizona. Um, so here's the thing, and uh, I do want to push back on something Chip Kelly implied from his media availability on Wednesday explicitly because I think it's important. We had heard a little bit that there was maybe some some a little bit of a kerfuffle. Um, um, you know, on the team, and that happens sometimes during a loss. You know, it. You know, and so we. Weren't going to make a big thing out of it. Nobody was expecting Femi to start talking about it in an open media availability on Monday uh, when we were talking to players. That's why we didn't lead discussing that. Otherwise, we would have if he had if we had thought that that was something worth talking about. He brings it up and starts talking about it extensively, um, and so we ask the necessary follow ups to get a clear picture of what happened. And it sounds like the team is, you know, having some uh, some clear divides to the point where the defensive coaching staff is showing them videos of, like, how to stay together and all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, that's all great, and I'm loving that he um, was transparent about it, but that's not the media creating a narrative. That is a player sharing f- with, you know, a good degree of uh, forthrightness or whatever uh, that uh, something that's going on on the team. So during that game against Arizona, uh, there were some, uh, you know, some arguments, whatever, uh, that um, led to that discussion. So that's a reality. That's a thing that's going on. And, you know, that sort of stuff happens when you're losing, but they're six and three. Uh, That's the sort of stuff that happens when there is also some, like, some issues. Um, Because it's not like they're losing that much. They've lost three games. Um, so yeah, anyway, Chip Kelly then, uh, on Wednesday was, you know, saying, uh, in, I mean, he, he explicitly said, uh, you know, sometimes it's the way the questions that are asked that try to divide you, um, and all that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, this, this attempt to kind of push it onto the media asking questions, but I just wanted to say that's, that's not at all what happened here. Um, and then you've got, you know, the, this, this the the surrounding atmosphere of this program where I mean we've we've talked about it um nil donations like it's not a there's they're not getting a ton of juice especially compared to basketball um and it just the, the program just doesn't seem like it's um trending positively in a lot of those like kind of soft factors that you need to be trending positively in yeah, just on the nil thing on so we've heard from sources, but we have also a, a little bit of data ourselves because Bro has uh, a device, an apparatus for uh, fans to donate to uh, Men of Westwood, the football NIL collective, 
through Bro. So that Bro gets kind of credit for it. And since the Arizona game, we won't give numbers, but there, it's not that donorship has gone flat. Uh, there have been a number, a decent number of bros uh, or anyone who contributed to the NIL through bro um, that have rescinded their donation. Is that correct, Dave? Yeah, I'll, I'll give the broad strokes that it's 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 thousands of dollars in annual commitments. Yes. So that's our own. If anyone comes in and says that, that that's not true, we have our own <laughs> data right in front of us that shows that that's happening in our experience through the bro donation module to men of Westwood. Yeah. It's, and I mean, it's, you know, people are like, wow. And this has been an interesting thing for me too, because people are, the, the amount of uproar after that game on our message board is, was kind of surprising even for me. Um, I, I think for a lot of people, it was sort of a, uh, straw that broke the camel's back sort of situation where it was just like, okay, I can stomach the Utah, I can stomach the Oregon State, but Arizona and Arizona beating them worse than Oregon State or Utah did, it's like that broke a lot of people. And, and Well, yeah, yeah, and you're right. It's the straw. And what is what does that imply? That there are a lot of things that are building up and building up and then that one straw breaks it. And it, it also, because it was Arizona, yeah. It's Jed Fish, the former UCLA offensive coordinator, who outcoached Chip Kelly. It's Arizona that pulled off. I mean, it, I, it's not too big of a, a, a reach to say uh, UCLA season last year, which was nine and four and ultimately really unsatisfying, uh, would have been different if they had just beaten Arizona. Yeah. Um, so ruined. La- <laughs> so there's a lot of reasons why that was the flashpoint of this. There are people saying, why are you basing this all on one, you know, this argument all on one game? Why is there such a, a de- deflation among UCLA fans? It's not just that one game. It, it's a buildup. It's the last straw. But there are a lot of reasons why that was such a pivotal, pivotal thing in, all, in, in this environment right now. Right? I mean, that was... And, and like you said, it wasn't just, it wasn't a close game. No. Uh, that game could have been a blowout even more so. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it kind of crystallized a lot, of, a lot of things. So, yeah. And I guess that's leading us to, Dave, the elephant in the room we have to discuss. And it leads us to this question. I mean, should Chip Kelly legitimately be on the hot seat? At UCLA. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That was just my answer. Um, yeah. Oh, so- no. I, I thought you were just acknowledging the question. <laughs> you should you should clarify that, Dave. So, all right. So there's a lot uh, here. Um, I did a whole statistical thing yesterday where I tried to just keep it, um, you know, pretty much the bare bones facts of the situation. And I think uh, there's a lot of people who treat the first three years of Chip Kelly's time at UCLA as like this thing that can just be ignored and erased. And it's look, it's, I, a mul- it's a mulligan. 
Yeah, it's, you get a mulligan for it. And and yeah. here's my thing on that is those were three years of your life. And if you are a UCLA fan and a diehard, then uh, those are three years that you won't get back. You don't get back those years. Um, and UCLA took a mulligan on those years. Uh, that's almost explicitly. That's almost the text of what they were doing, especially in those first two years. And we've seen so many rebuilds where that is not what is going on. Look at Arizona. They just beat UCLA's ass on Saturday. Uh they went one and eleven in year one. That was awful. Then they went five and seven and beat UCLA on the road in year two, and now they're six and three. And uh, if you look at their schedule, there's a very good chance they finish nine and three in three years. Uh, in year three, UCLA was in COVID, but they also went three and four. Um, and comparing those two programs, let's just say you concede that it takes a while. You know, you come in and you decide to raise the program to the ground. At Arizona's a program where it's just much tougher to win than at UCLA. UCLA used to be able to turn around the program a lot quicker. Yeah. Recruiting, you can attract a lot higher level of talent. Yeah, it, you it, should be able, if, if the recruiting, let's just say, I mean, if the coaching is all the same, you should be able to turn around UCLA faster than Arizona. Yeah, and and that's just, I mean, uh, that should be obvious to anyone who's not uh, arguing this in bad faith. Um, but even if you are, even if you want to say that they're two comparable programs, well, look what's happening at one of them versus the other. Um, so there's and, and that. Then here's, and then here's the other thing, too, while we're on this. Let's just throw out the first three seasons. I don't agree well, with no, it, but, but let, yeah. let's just do that. In the last three seasons, has there been a satisfying season? I mean, you uh, this season's not over with. UCLA wins out, wins its bowl game, gets the ten wins, you know, and you know beats USC. You'd have to think ultimately this is a satisfying season. Kind of a long shot that that's going to happen, but there is a chance still. Uh, last season was that was <laughs> was that a satisfying season to me? It it nine and four, the way after Arizona, then losing to USC and. I'm I'm going to place a lot of importance on that Sun Bowl because that that was a soul crushing loss to Pittsburgh. It truly the way that went down and to leave. That's the taste everyone was left with leaving the season. Uh, that just taints that season for me. I don't think that was a satisfying season. Um, and you could easily make the case that last year's team was Chip Kelly's best. That was the pinnacle. Had the most talent, uh, had NFL players at quarterback, running back. Um, and, but then you could also make the case that this year, you know, he talks about how many grad uh, players, just as many veterans, a better defense. Um, if this year doesn't at least, uh, with a soft schedule, go beyond last year's success, and I mean 10 wins, You'd have to consider this a backslide this season. Well, I mean, it's no question about it. Um, okay, I'm just I'm just trying to make the case like I'm in court. Introducing the Two Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. So, all right. So the last three years, because um, this is another thing uh, where people um, point to that as like this is a sign that the program's in good shape. They've gone th 23 and 10 uh, pending the results of the final three games of the year. Uh, it's 23 and 10 right now. So last 33 games, 23 and 10. Um, these three seasons UCLA's played are the three weakest schedules for UCLA. Um since 1954 uh actually let's the, the last four schedules so 2020 2021 2022 and 2023 each of them on their own weakest schedule since 1954 okay that's 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 what it is right now uh do you what did you see i do in 1954 i don't remember uh let's see oh won a national championship they won a national championship they went undefeated chip kelly in none of these years, has lost fewer than three games. They will not compete for a Pac-12 championship in any of these three years, any of these four years. Uh, and it has not even come close to sniffing a Pac-12 championship. No, no. The closest the closest will have been last year when if they had beaten Arizona, US, they would have played USC for basically a berth. Um, tied, tied for second in the Pac-12 in 2021, came in fifth last year. Yeah. In, in the overall Pac-12. Yeah. So um, it's uh, – I, I think that right there should tell you – like the thing is there is no sin in having a weak schedule. There is a sin in performing weekly against a weak schedule. Having a weak schedule is an opportunity for a program to break through. UCLA almost never has a weak schedule. If you go back through the years, Jim Mora was constantly faced with difficult schedules. If you want a caveat for the Rick Neuheisel years, he was always faced with a difficult schedule. Carl Durrell was dealt insane schedules. The only one who performed worse than Chip Kelly was Rick Neuheisel. Um, but Jim Mora, Carl Durrell, Bob Toledo, always playing tough schedules, always, and at a, at a full aggregate level, performing better than Chip Kelly. It's the reason people bring up the record against winning teams is because that is the measure of whether your program is breaking through at all. And right now, Chip Kelly, uh, through uh, nine games of this season, and I am projecting a little bit. This is the only part where, like, kind of the opinion on the stats is coming through, is I'm projecting a little to say that Coastal Carolina will finish with a winning record. Utah, Oregon State, and Arizona will finish with a winning record. I don't believe Washington State will. Uh, they have collapsed. Um, they're one and three right now this year against teams with a winning record. Uh, coming into this year, they were five and twenty-five under Chip Kelly. So they're going to finish either six and twenty-nine or seven and twenty-eight this season against teams with a winning record. That's insane. That is, I. It's hard to fathom how a coach stays for as long as Chip Kelly has stayed while performing that poorly against decent teams. Uh, Jim Mora didn't do that. Carl Durrell didn't do that. Bob Toledo didn't do that. They they all won at kind of the expectation level, which is win those games about half the time. 
Jim Mora was, I think, 24 and 25. Carl Durrell was like 14 and 18. Um, the, this, it's not some un, unruly expect, expect, uh, expectation to uh, think that a coach should win, you know, half those games at UCLA. And, and that's not and, happening. And here's the other thing, too. If we're looking for a measuring stick, if you remember, Chip Kelly himself has said a coach should be solely judged on his record. He has said that. So if you just do that, you you can't say the overall record's good. You can't say the last three years have been as, as satisfying. Um, he also said when he was hired that the, there's three things about football. There are relationships, friendships, and championships. In year six, plenty of time to have competed for any kind of championship, and he hasn't sniffed one. So those are all the numbers, records, and clearly that's kind of overwhelming evidence. But now let's look at what we see on the field. For the first five seasons, the defense just was was poor. You, you couldn't win at a really high level with, with those defenses. That's directly responsible to, to Chip Kelly. I don't want to get all into the Jerry Azanero thing, but let's it, it it's laid at the feet of, of Chip Kelly. But what people say is, and what you hear, when you listen to a UCLA football game and the announcers drone on about that Chip Kelly's an offensive genius, and we've written this too, uh, because the offense was good. It was the one shining star in this in this program. Uh what we've come to maybe see this season is the offense, which was the one really re- thing that you would retain from this as a high level of coaching, is getting exposed. We had always thought, you wrote it, I wrote it, hey, this offense is so good, you can plug in almost anyone. Yeah. Well, we've learned that that's not true. We were wrong about that. In trying to concede things to give Chip Kelly credit, we were wrong um, I don't think it's hard to make the case that Dorian Thompson Robinson erased a lot of erased curious a lot of it. play calling. It's it's the offense isn't a great college offense. It needs. I I said it at the beginning of the season that one of my biggest concerns was that with his ability to run and extend drives, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson was a big contributor in making this offense look quote good. And there wasn't anyone. There weren't a, any. There wasn't a quarterback in the quarterback room who could do that. Um, I, did that, you see me take my victory lap uh, this week when I uh, found my recaps from the second and third games of the Chip Kelly era and uh, bumped them on the message board? I did where, not. Where I said in the recaps, uh, this offense really seems like it's going to require like NFL level talent at pretty much every position to work. And uh, lo and behold. <laughs> yeah. And and what's interesting too about it is we can go back to why the Arizona game really laid it out uh, for a lot of reasons, but if you look at Jed Fish's offense, um he plugged in a freshman quarterback who's 5'11. He's pretty mobile, doesn't have great arm, but that that offense is based is really designed so that college players can come in and succeed quickly 
Well, what um, I like about it is also, um, what do they do? Like, if you, if you had to describe a thing they do, it's they get the ball into the hands of their best players, like Tedero and McMillan, uh, Jacob Cowing. They see the ball, I would say, on like 60% of snaps. Um, those are your two best receivers. They play two different positions. You know, one's in the slot, one's outside. And yet the offense is equally capable of getting the ball to both of them. Hmm, curious, interesting. Curious. You could you could now make the case, having watched this season, that Chip Kelly's offense isn't, isn't a fantastic... It, we're not saying it's bad, but it's not the genius offense we all... I, I personally think we've now seen it. It's not a great college offense. It's too, yeah. com- it's too complicated. You got to make too many reads. Um, there's a lot going on and is it clever? Sure. Like you said, you get a, you get some NFL players that plugged in. There aren't too many things that defenses can do against it, but when you don't recruit well, or just generally in college football, you're not only, you're not always going to have a team full of potential NFL players. So we looked at the numbers. We're looking on the field. It's just not holding up in year six. And then we're, we're also making the case that toward the end of coaches tenure, when they're kind of deep into it, year five, year six, there's a time when you just feel the air has just been sucked out of the program. There just isn't any energy around it. There's no buzz. That's kind of how you feel right now about about the program um and so that's where we're we're standing right now and then if you think about a path forward it's probably at the narrowest it's ever been for chip kelly at ucla uh heading into the big 10 next year you'd need to really be able to load up on talent you need the dtrs the zach charbonnets the Leatu Latus to compete. Um, you are you're going to be competing at a higher level. I don't see that path forward in recruiting. Um, I wrote an article about how uh, NIL is now the equivalent of recruiting. College coaches are telling me this. You might as well substitute NIL for the word recruiting. Uh, Chip Kelly this week actually even admitted that NIL was a huge factor in recruiting. Um, But as we said, UCLA's NIL football funds are are flat at best uh, receding in reality. When it's this so weird transfer- because these donors, they have to be aware of how successful UCLA football players are in the classroom, right? Yeah, that wasn't... If you want to touch on that, go ahead. I was just going to let that one go and move on. Well, but, it's, um, so I do want to say this too, and this is just again acknowledging. Um, uh, again, th- we have seen this movie before. Um, the questions I asked him this week were relatively easy to answer. Um, disunity question is, oh yeah, whenever you lose, there's you know there's guys uh, you know who who are frustrated and uh you know we we've talked about that as a team and we're ready to move on and we're feeling focused and unified heading into this week nothing burger uh nil um nil is super important 
And then I ask him, okay, well, is there, you know, do you think it's incumbent on you and everyone else to do stuff with it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we got to do the best we can to uh, generate funds for that uh, within the rules, uh, within the NCAA rules. Okay, would you consider wearing a T-shirt? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's not something I've, I've thought about really, but yeah, I mean, I'll do anything I can to help raise funds for that. Nothing. It, literally nothing. But instead, we get uh, super, super defensive, bordering on, you know, kind of that aggressive defensive, uh, where it's like, I'm going to throw out accusations at other people, or I'm going to say, oh, no, I think that's useless. Um, and it's, you know, and then you say, and then you start saying things like, uh, people should be donating to the program because of the quality young men and the uh, the GPAs and all that kind of stuff. And the thing is, um, th- well, that's a nice idea. That's lovely. Uh, that's not why anyone devo- d- donates money to uh, athletic programs. It has nothing to do with it, ever. It has to do with a variety of things. Personal relationships is actually a big and surprising one. Success of the program is a big one. Uh, you know, actual wins on the field, um, winning things like championships, but personal relationships, uh, you know, the, the kind of hallmarks of basic fundraising are a big part of it. Um, hint, hint. Um, so I, I thought that was, again, it's like, and that's why I was leading with like the football one-on-one stuff and all that kind of stuff, because it's just, we've seen this movie before coaches getting battled. And I had, I almost, I'm trying to concede some, some parts of the argument. Um, when a coach says, and Chip Kelly has said this, I'm here to coach. Coach is coach. That's what I do. I'm not here. Uh, I'm not here to promote. I'm not here to necessarily schmooze. Okay. Uh, going out and establishing relationships with donors is a long, time-consuming, sometimes painstaking effort. It takes hours, days, and overall years to establish relationships with donors. Why do you do this? Because donors are, most of the time, most coaches consider donors the lifeblood of a program. Um, So if you don't have the energy to do that, I get that. But what is the harm of putting on a Men of Westwood t-shirt for an interview? (laughs) It can't hurt you. It can't hurt you. How can it hurt you? It And if we're talking about effort, like compared to years of cultivating relationships with donors, this takes six seconds to put on a t-shirt. And well, it can't hurt you. And as one other coach said, it's a billboard. Well, right? and this is it, the it, thing. It will draw awareness. And Tracy, you know how careful we have to be with how we phrase things, right? With with Chip, because he'll seize on things. I led with the Mick part of it because I wanted him to like genuinely respond to the question, not just like defensively say, No, that's useless. And yet he still did that. Like I was I was like, Well, obviously it's not useless because the basketball coach is doing it and saying these things. So is that something you would consider doing? He should have just said, Sure, yeah, I'll consider anything. Like it was it was surprising to me that he still took that stance even with that lead into the question. And you know, you could interpret that the response that he had would you I'm going to ask you this question. I'm not saying it. I'm going to have you answer it. Would you say it through 
Mick Cronin a little bit under the bus? Well, it's just, I don't even think that was Chip's intention. I think he was just so... I don't so, think it was at all. But, but uh, no, I mean, mean, the reality of what his words said is that the, the basketball coach is doing a useless thing. Yes. Um, that, you know, it, he, he doesn't see the purpose and what Mick Cronin has spent a decent part of the offseason doing, which is... And my point is, if it is use, just useless, it's either useless or worth something. It's worth eight seconds to put on the T-shirt. Yeah, and the thing is, it's it's probably in the middle ground, right? Wearing a T-shirt, not a big deal, right? I mean, I, I doubt it's bringing in a ton of money by itself, but it is. It's it's not nothing. It's it's yeah. raising awareness. It's brand awareness. It's it's all those things that um, you know uh, people convince people with marketing marketing degrees will convince you matters. So. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, that's so a- what got us off when I was talking about NIL as a path forward for Chip Kelly. Um, I wrote the story that talked about recruiting, establishing that recruiting is now all about NIL, and Chip Kelly conceded that this this week. The path forward. So just backing up a little with the history, comes to UCLA does not recruit high school very well. Has his theory on how to do it. It, it did not work. Saved to a vast degree by the advent of the transfer portal. UCLA became a transfer destination. To his credit, he was an attraction for many transfers who want to try to get to the NFL. I'll come and play in his NFL Sunday offense. Great. So a little, that's kind of, that's some credit to him, but also a lot of luck because of the advent of the transfer portal. Also have to throw in UCLA, not Chip Kelly, but UCLA establishing the grad program in the education department. That enabled him where he's been talking about for the last two years where I've got 22 uh, graduate students. The vast majority of those are in that education program. If you remember just not too long ago, UCLA had a hard time getting in graduates, almost very rarely did because they had to get into uh, really tough grad uh, graduate programs. And there were no, uh, not just for transfers, but for their existing players to stay at UCLA, use their redshirt year, um, let's say, they had to, they all legitimately had to get into a grad program, which were some of the toughest grad programs to get in uh, in the country. And also the additional COVID year. There would be a lot of guys who wouldn't have been on the team in the last two years who were in graduate programs because they benefited and they utilized that last COVID year. So there was a lot of luck in that. Um, The luck has kind of turned. As NIL has become the number one factor in recruiting, we saw it, as I wrote, in the last uh, transfer portal season cycle last year UCLA got pretty much essentially outbid by other programs for some transfers Um, this transfer class the 2023 has not been nearly as effective as the 2022 class which was pretty much pre-NIL going forward with the where the NIL situation sits for UCLA football I can't see it I don't see any way it can be competitive to get the kind of transfers that it will need to be competitive in the Big Ten, the Zach Charbonnets, uh, uh, the Raekwon O'Neal to get a left tackle. Uh, and not only that, there are going, in this environment, the way this is, it's anticipated from many coaching staffs 
that your existing players are going to be looking for some NIL money. Not hundreds of thousands of dollars, but a solid player will be looking for $50,000, $60,000 a year. He will test the waters of the transfer portal to see what his marketability is in NIL out there. UCLA, again, with its NIL situation, is going to struggle to keep its existing players on the roster. Something has to change fast. The transfer portal opens in December. We are mere weeks away from it opening up. I don't, I don't, as I said, the narrowest, the narrowest path. I don't see a vast wide swath for, for a path forward. Um, add all of that up. We are again asking the question, should Chip Kelly legitimately be on the hot seat? Um, am I supposed to answer that? Nah, you can if you want. Uh, yeah, obviously. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, I mean, I think... Uh, you know what? I haven't even touched on attendance, too. We, well, we there's, I mean, there's, there's yeah. a lot. Um, there's a lot. You can just keep piling on, and we don't want to act like we're piling on. There's people go around in the use of... I mean, I'll tell you the truth. There have been plenty. There have been people over the years that come up to me and say, "Oh, you're Tracy Pearson. Oh, you're the guys. You know, you, your, your site. I, I, I. You guys are too negative." I go, oh, "You think so?" I go, "Yeah. I mean, all that you were on about Steve Alford and Rick Neuheisel. So then I know who the guy is, and no fault. He's he's a program defender, and I get it. But we do have that reputation and." I mean, we are trying, Dave and I, to present an objective look at this that's based on data, fact, everything we're hearing around the program. We're not trying to out, out to get Chip Kelly. We never have been for any coach. We don't have an agenda. Um, I'll no, be no, 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 no. I want to be I want to be clear. We okay. do have an agenda. Uh, the agenda, and I've been clear about this in the past, is, and I'm going to put all cards on the table for everyone out there, we want UCLA to do well. Do you know why? Do you know why? Do they know why? Well, do they know well, why, Tracy? They probably could guess. We make more money when UCLA does well. That's true. We're also, uh, you know, alums. So we want them to do well for those reasons, too. Um. Right now, UCLA is not doing very well. Um, you can look at the records and you can say, oh, oh, they've won, you know, two thirds of their games or whatever the last three years. And that's OK. That's one way of looking at it. Uh, they haven't sniffed a championship. Um, they're not. Uh, it's not passing Joe fans smell test at all. And you can tell that by attendance. You can tell that by uh, people donating to the program. You can tell that by so many different avenues. That it's just not passing the smell test. It's not passing recruit smell test. Um, they're not winning at that level. They're they're just this is a subsistence program right now. Um, we're telling you that not because you know it's uh, you know we we drive traffic when we're negative about this stuff. We're telling you that because that's the reality of the situation as we see it. Um, it's you know but the, you know what here's a little asterisk to this too. People always claim that we get more hits when we're causing controversy and talking negative. Our traffic tanks 
when they tanks lose. when they the people, lose our traffic tanks not just that but when there is negativity on the site or we are publishing stories that are critical that's the least popular when our <laughs> when our side is the least popular people yeah. want positivity no matter what no matter what side of the argument on everyone wants to be positive yes and this year especially um it's been it's been eye-opening how badly things tank after a loss. And it's not, I don't even think it's about negativity. I think it's people, and this is, again, it rings true based on what just happened with Arizona. People are on kind of a knife's edge with whether or not they're going to even invest their interest in this anymore um, in a lot of ways. Because it's just, you know, every opportunity to break through or get a nice win. And it's just, uh, it's the classic Lucy pulling a football thing. And I think, uh, you know, just again, taking the temperature of the fan base, and I'm not like trying to talk to the like, you know, our, our lovely, our, our fighting 250, uh, the people who are like constantly arguing on our message board. There's a big silent majority of people behind you. And those are the people we can take the temperature of just based on traffic, based on interest, based on donations, based on all this stuff. Based on private messages. Based on <laughs> private messages. And it's just, there's a... Um, the level of interest is just so low um, in in this program right now, and it's completely related to results on the field. It's completely related. And people say, oh, you guys do best when they're recruiting at a high level. And that's also not true. Recruiting does help. Like when, when there were those old big signing days, like we would build subscriptions through signing day, and that was a big thing. Um, but that that that's changed too. If they're really good, that drives subscriptions. It's that they're not performing on the field. And then on top of that, uh, they also don't, they don't really, they really eschew uh, high school recruiting, which in and of itself also hurts the product on the field. This isn't, these are two related things. We've been, we've been cautious about saying, oh, wow, it's really hard to build a program through the transfer portal. Well, maybe it'll work, or maybe their strategy of, of uh, building through like um, big guys who can, I don't know, do math or whatever is going to work out. And I'm, I'm ready to say, no, it didn't. It, it's a failure. Um, it's, it's not going to get UCLA to the level that it uh, historically has been with any coach with a pulse. Uh, the, the people uh, like to demean uh, Jim Mora for lots of legitimate reasons. Uh, his first three years were better than anything that Chip Kelly has produced. And that's just observable not reality not take, take yeah. it for what it is but that's observable reality you could even argue the fourth year is better than anything chip kelly has produced so and yeah all of this stuff adds up all of this stuff matters all of it factors in and when we're talking about this it's not because we don't like chip kelly i actually like him just fine i laugh at his jokes i think I he's kind of funny yeah. um we're talking about it from the perspective of People who want UCLA to do well. UCLA is not doing well enough right now. That's why we're saying this stuff. And what's really interesting, you made an, uh, a point in there that needs to be emphasized. We're doing this really all based on performance on the field. Um, there is also a case to be made, and we've touched on it here, that so how there are other things like attendance, like uh, um gear, uh, you know, how much you sell at the soon store. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that also 
that the powers that be at UCLA judge success in a program, um, not just on the field results. Most of the time, you win at a very high level. All that other stuff falls in place to a degree. But there is there is a whole different uh, a dimension to the job of head coaching in college. It's you have to promote your program. We've seen this now up front up close with Chip Kelly. Um, not only a lack of promoting, but really running the other way from promoting the program in so many ways has has hurt the support for the program. Uh, really, really sharply hurt that he has not promoted or propagated any any real support among donors. Donors are the ones that will be there for you at bad times and really be your cheerleader during good times. There's none of that support for Chip Kelly in and around the program. Um, So we've seen, we just, we've really witnessed this year. A lot of people were asking, well, what is a quarterback who's really a quarterback, sorry, a coach who's very into promoting his program. What does that really have an impact We've seen it now, <laughs> what Deion Sanders has done for Colorado. Uh, he was a celebrity, yes, but that's still, that's still you know, uh, a result of his own self-promotion. But someone who promotes himself, promotes his program, promotes his players, promotes his style, promotes, sells sunglasses. Um, biggest attendance of a UCLA home game this year, I think, He's been he's brought in the biggest attendance of uh, wherever he's been on the road, set records at Colorado. That is the kind of thing that the powers that be at UCLA take into consideration. I can tell you that if Chip Kelly had set the other record of home game attendance or just been in the 70,000s for home games because the program was so promoted and people were excited about it, we might not be talking about actually uh, whether he should be on the hot seat or, or not. Um, so that also leads us to the next question because I've also touched on that. Uh, from what I've heard, this is all not lost on the UCLA powers that be. Now, I'm not saying they're prepared to pull the trigger on Chip Kelly at the end of the season. There's a reasonable chance Kelly survives. Um Finishes the season with three straight wins, including what we'd all have to say would be a, a, a pretty fun win over USC. I mean, that would bring his regular season record to nine and three. If he wins a bowl game and he's 10 and three, I think that could keep him at UCLA. That's a narrow path. Um, but I think the powers that be are watching. And uh, it's not like there is no scenario in their mind that Chip Kelly could be dismissed. I think it is now, it is now an an open item at this point. Um, we've also, since we're talking about, it, we probably need to talk about uh, the buyout. From my interpretation, the buyout. Before Can I give December- you a statistic really quick? Just yeah, I was yeah, looking this yeah. up while you were talking, and it's sure. I think important because people are talking about the hype and like all this kind of stuff. And you know, uh, the last guy. I mean, I would say Jim Moore did it. 
in year one. Um, but one guy who really did it without much success on the field, and I think is a pretty close analog, is Rick Neuheisel. What did UCLA average in attendance at home in 2008? I'll say 62. 72,795. Okay, now let's just take COVID, post-COVID, get all that. Mm -hmm. But that's not responsible for... Are you going to tell me how much Chip Kelly has averaged? Oh, I mean, if you want it. um, But, I mean, I'm sure it's like 40,000 this year. Um, Right. But 72,000 was in 2008. Wow. And that was, you know, that was coming off Darrell's kind of uh, boring last year um, where they looked miserable. And that was, again, through that entire 2008 season where they went four and eight. Just again. And that's I think a big part of that was Rick Neuheisel's media blitz, you know, just kind of relentless positivity, the stupid ads in the newspapers appearing on every, you know, pregame show that he could get on, like all that stuff. It matters. It factors in. It matters. Uh, talking about the buyout, just uh, it's funny because I've uh, we've really I've talked to a lot of people. I it's it's hard to get a, the exact definitive answer, but from my interpretation of his current contract, the buyout is at eight point five million if he's dismissed uh, up to December fifteenth. It falls to four point two seven million on December sixteenth. Now I know people are making the case that UCLA can't afford that given its debt. Comparatively to other coaches' buyouts around college football, four point two seven million is an absolute bargain. That is, uh, what was uh, Michigan State coaches' buyout eighty million dollars or something? Yeah, like honestly, that? the the eight million is pretty reasonable. For it's pretty football. reasonable. Um, so we're talking about whether he should be on the hot seat uh, there probably isn't the pro the answer is probably yes um i want to leave it to all of you to decide but there probably isn't a time in kelly's tenure when it's been more appropriate for ucla to consider a coaching change i'd say yeah yeah and that's probably a good enough place to leave that discussion i think so um, we got to talk some basketball. I think we did that well, Dave. I think we handled it. We got to talk some basketball, though. Oh, basketball. Yeah, basketball. It's another sport going on right now. Uh, we saw the opener. Um, I wrote a thing about it. Uh, basically, you know, take not so much from it. Uh, you know, Barque was not available for the game. Um, we saw some big, big looks. Um, I'm, I, th- I think everyone knows my opinion on whether the big, big is an ideal thing, uh, but um, we'll see. It's still in the we'll see stage. Um, and then UCLA plays tonight against Lafayette. Uh, as of recording, we haven't heard yet whether Barque is going to be available for the game. Um, now, that's, again, we're right at 830 now, so, uh, so that could change in the next hour or two. Who knows? Um, but as of now, not. Uh, we haven't heard. Um I don't know. We, we haven't heard your takeaway on the game, Tracy. You want to give it in a nutshell? Um, I think I, I did. Um, the main takeaway for me was um, that Mick Cronin used this as a message to his players. You're going to play the right way. You're going to play team basketball. You're going to pass the ball. You're going to make the right decisions or you're, you're not going to play regardless of who you are. Um, 
everyone should watch the post-game interview. That is a coach just who has the idea of how he believes uh, teams win and he is not going to compromise. He, he, is, he put in a massive amount of hours, effort, time recruiting those international players. You could conservatively say four to five times more than what it takes to recruit an, an American player, especially one in UCLA's own backyard, let's say, or even just in Texas. Mm-hmm. He's, willing, he's, he's willing to put that all on the line and risk it because if he pisses off a couple of these international players – they go back, they, they leave, they go back, they start telling everyone in international recruiting circles that I'm not going there. That guy made me do this and do this. It's, it's a horrible place. He's risking all that. He doesn't care. He wants him to play his way because he believes that's the path to winning at a very high level. I tend to agree with him. It's all about, it's, to me, it's not only about playing the right way, but so much of it is about mental and physical toughness. If you've, uh, being in the media, sometimes we get seats that are right down on the court. If you ever get a chance in a game, in a, in a pretty competitive game, like let's say UCLA plays Colorado or something, or even Stanford, <laughs> buy one time, buy a really expensive seat, where you're sitting right down pretty much on the court, you'll get a real sense of how the game hinges so much on toughness, physical and mental toughness. It is, it is a wrestling match. You can't see it as much on TV. You can't hear it. You certainly can't feel it like you do when you're right on the court. Mick Cronin has the right idea that he wants tough guys. He wants to toughen them up physically and mentally to prepare to play against anyone. Uh, last year, I guess Northwestern, I was pretty much really down on the court. What Northwestern, a bunch of old, uh, not greatly athletic, big physical guys that were hard to match up against. And that, that was the way they were going to beat teams was to just out out tough them and UCLA held up because he had Mick Cronin had prepared his team to face that level of toughness. Um it's not just about passing the ball. It's about playing his way, which he considers the right way, which gives them the chance to win at the highest level. And if you don't do that, you're just spinning your wheels. You're just taking checks. You're you're just hanging in win in 20 games, 21 games a year. And you're not really doing what you need to do to win at the highest level. That's what I took away from that game. There was really not that much else to take away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anybody- I, I, when it comes to like what you're saying, the two posts, the two bigs, they got to figure some things out strategically and tactically. Absolutely. Do I? And what's great is Mick Cronin says, no, no, we got to figure all that out. <laughs> We have no idea what we're going to do with that. We got to get all the guys on the court playing hard and playing right. And then we'll decide what we're going to do to optimize their ability to win games. What I will say is he's fast forwarding um, some of the 2019 stuff, because if I remember correctly, his first like real blow up at the team was it might have been in Maui. Um, So he's fast forwarding because he's given them the blow up in game one. 
I don't think he's got the patience to do uh, 2019 over again. Like, I think if if they're like scuffling around 500 in January, he's going to uh, lose his absolute mind. So I think he's fast forwarding a lot of that developmental stuff um, and trying to push these guys to be at least playing his brand of basketball by December, which will be that'll be an accelerated timeline from his first year. And I think a lot of that was too, because he had enough players on the team. He could rely on back then. He even said it in the, he said it in his press conference. I'm not fooling around. I don't have time to screw around with these guys. It's got to happen now. Yeah. Like when he had all those other veterans, he needed a few guys to play better. So he gave them time, let them go out there and, and figure it out on their own. He doesn't have time for them to figure it out on their own now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's going to be uh, like, I, I think the only thing that was reinforced for me on Monday is everything we've been saying all offseason is it's going to take some time. Like it's going to be a weird first couple of months of the season. They might even win a couple of games that they shouldn't because they're, you know, they've got some talent, but um, they're going to be figuring out roles and responsibilities going into like at minimum mid-December. Like it's going to be a lot of development. So uh, strap in for that. Um, you know, there'll be some, there's going to be some ugly moments. So just keep that in mind when you are, uh, watching the games, but also fun. It's going to be fun to watch. I mean, yeah, he's figuring it out among, uh, among a bunch of players who have a lot of talent. And it's so funny how people just overreact. And the biggest prediction that you made, we made in the off season is how everyone would react. And they just uh, on the forum and they just absolutely lived up to that prediction. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Adai's never going to play. He can't yeah. play. He, he can't play. He's never going to play. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, all right. Just so you know, that was the first competitive game Adai's played in four months. <laughs> uh, l- l- let's go over something. Dylan Andrews hasn't played for two and a half weeks. He hasn't really practiced for two and a half weeks. Uh, that was the first uh, a competitive game Adem Bona has played since March. Correct. Yep. Uh, 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 <laughs> and you can still see it. He he doesn't want to throw down a huge dunk. He's like he did a couple of Bill Walton lay-ins at the rim. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of jumped over the rim and dropped it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's it for us. Long show. Uh, hope Long you enjoyed show. it or at least tolerated it. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we'll talk to you again next time. See y'all. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not going to survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.